Good to see some, um, or hear some stories and, and, uh, and see some pictures of people having a good, good time away. Um, Michelle, and I got, Michelle and I got a couple days away um, a couple of weeks ago, which we, we appreciate as well. So uh, we're going to have a QA and a time too um, at the end of our little talk here. And also, don't forget to grab your bulletin. In the bulletin, there's a little outline that you can follow, see what we're up to and so on. So how about I pray and ask God to help us as we... Uh, uh, look at his word today. Father, we thank you that you're a God who speaks to us. We thank you that we can, um, we can pause for a little while and, and be encouraged and be lifted up uh, and be taught from your word as you speak to us. We pray today we'll be strengthened as we, um, as we be real with ourselves and the doubts we sometimes face. In Jesus' name, amen. So we saw last week that doubt is inevitable for the people of God because we live in a world that, that is, well, the Bible, calls it, the Bible describes it as a fallen world. So it's not a perfect world anymore. It's, it's, it's uh, dictated to by sin. It's, it, and the world is not the, not the place it was when it was first created. I told you that I was praying for this fact, this understanding that that doubt is inevitable for the people of God. We're all going to go through it. If you're a Christian person, we all go through times of doubt. But I was praying too that we would find comfort and reassurance as we, um, as we go through this series. Got a few more weeks to go as well. However, the inevitability of doubt in our lives is no reason for complacency. Doubt is dangerous. We talked about we must not sweep it under the carpet because doubt can turn into unbelief. We heard that questioning doubt, that type of doubt, questioning doubt, is a good type of doubt as long as we act on it, as long as we pursue those doubts. See, I reckon, I reckon if you're, a, I reckon every serious thinking follower of Jesus will have their own little sort of uh, backpack of unresolved difficulties that we sort of learn to live with in some ways. So can I trust the Bible? Why does a loving or how does a loving God allow suffering? Did Jesus really rise from the dead? And what about creation and evolution? How, how does that work? Christianity and science, that sort of question. We've all got these little questions and doubts, unresolved difficulties that we learn to live with. But every now and then, what we do, we reach up and we pull that backpack down, down from that shelf, and we open it up, and we take one of those questions and get to work on it and answering it. And when, after reading about it, talking about it, talking with friends and praying about it, we, we come to an answer that, that satisfies us. I reckon that's one of the most exhilarating experiences of the Christian life. Oh, to resolve a doubt that's been bugging you, that you've been wrestling with uh, for however long, gives this great sense of peace and confidence. Now, this urgent need to tackle doubt is behind the letter to Hebrews. Hebrews is an extended pastoral word to Christians who were experiencing doubt and were in real danger of abandoning Christianity. It's a letter to real people with real doubts who live in a real world. Real people like you and I with real doubts just like ours. 
You see, so they were questioning whether Jesus really was God's promised king. The one who fulfills those promises from the Old Testament. And they were questioning whether Jesus' death really had dealt with their sins or do they need to do more? And on top of that, they were facing real persecution. Some had been imprisoned and some had had their homes and properties seized, all of which caused them to doubt, to wonder whether it was all worth it. And so the author writes to these people with a desperate urgency to persuade them to keep trusting Jesus. He wants them to grasp that Jesus is the final and full revelation from God. Jesus is the fulfilment of the temple. Jesus is the true high priest. He's the once and for all sacrifice for our sin. And he wants them to know that Jesus is better and that Jesus is worth it. So, Brooke now is going to read to us part of what this author to the Hebrews wrote. Thanks, Brooke. So, second reading is from Hebrews chapter 3, starting at verse 7, going through to chapter 4, verse 2. Hebrews chapter 3, starting at verse 7. So, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion, during the time of testing in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested and tried me, though for 40 years they saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation. I said, their hearts are always going astray, and they have, have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. As has just been said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies perished in the wilderness? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest if not to those who disobeyed. So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us, just as they did, but the message they heard was of no value to them because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Thanks, Brooke. If you still got that open, that'd be really helpful. But you can see, see, the author does not want his readers to make the same mistakes. You get that, don't you? They don't want, he doesn't want his readers to make the same mistakes and urges them to listen to God and his word, urges them to encourage one another, urges them to see to it. See verse 12? That none of you has a sinful and unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another instead. Now, we may not share the exact same issues of those first uh, readers of Hebrews, but the, the danger is the same. And so the application is the same. Here's the danger. Doubt leading to unbelief. 
If their doubt is not overcome, they will forfeit their salvation. Instead, he hopes that they will come through this period of doubt with a stronger and more secure faith grounded in the truth about Jesus. I mean, um, uh, a bit of competition here at the moment, is there? I can't compete with that. That's very cute. Anyway, um, let's focus back here. So, now, the, the, the basic reason why doubt is dangerous, it, it's, it's sort of obvious really, but we skip it. The basic reason why doubt is dangerous is because we are saved by grace through faith. If you're a Christian person, not, not by works. When we struggle with doubts, well, of course then, well, our faith is struggling as well, isn't it? And so that's the first thing I want us to see. And you'll see in your outline there, the first point, doubt is dangerous even when... Oh, sorry, I'll go back a bit there. There we go. Okay. Doubt is dangerous because we're saved by grace through faith, not by works. Nothing we can do, no good works, no religious duties, nothing we can do to make, can make ourselves right with God, saved and forgiven. We are only saved by trusting or having faith in the death of Jesus for our sin. Jesus has taken the punishment for our sin. That punishment was his death. He died for us on the cross. His death was a substitutionary death. Uh, the righteous, that's Jesus, died for the unrighteous. That's you and I to bring us to God. It's, it's a little like this. You find out that you need life-saving surgery. You read up on it. You realise that if you don't have this surgery, well, you're not going to make it much longer. You have come to understand that there is nothing you can do to fix your current situation, to heal you. You simply cannot remedy the situation by your own efforts. And so to have the surgery, you must, you must let go of your efforts. You must put trust in the doctors. You've got to lay down on the operating table, relinquishing full control over yourself. You must let go of your efforts. You must see this as the only way. Saving faith, when we trust in the Lord Jesus to save, us, to, to save us from the wrath of God that we deserve for our sin, saving faith is letting go of our works and lying down on the operating table, if you like. Letting go of our works and merits and trusting Christ alone as our only suitable and all-sufficient saviour. And so salvation is a gift from God. Because it's got nothing to do with us. We can't earn it. It's a gift from God. We, we trust in Jesus. Forgiveness, eternal life and a living relationship with God can only be gained by believing in Jesus. As, as Jesus famously said in John 3 verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes, has faith, trust, same word, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands, stands condemned already because they have not believed the name of God's one and only son. So without faith or belief, well, Jesus says we stand condemned. To state the obvious, then the stakes are high. It's dangerous. When we struggle with doubts, our faith is in jeopardy. And so doubt is dangerous. And we mustn't let doubt give way to unbelief. That's the warning we must hear this morning. 
But doubt is also dangerous when it doesn't lead to unbelief. Now, as you see in your outlines there, I've got four ways where I think doubt, uh, well, doubt is dangerous when it doesn't lead to unbelief. Here's the first one. Uh, doubt may rob us of the joy of being saved. So true believers are those who have received the gift of God's grace. They've said, yes, thank you, Lord. I need you. Uh, they're, they're saved from the wrath of God, therefore, by putting their faith in Jesus and what he's done for them by his death and resurrection. And the result is, yes, they're, they're saved, the Bible word is. They have eternal life. They'll be with Jesus forever. They're forgiven. They have a sure and certain hope for the future. All these truths, being friends with God, no longer being enemies with God, being friends with God, no longer being distant, but being close to God. All these, see, all these truths that a Christian has, that, that brings us great joy. A joy that's bigger and more powerful than anything this world can throw at us. Neither height nor depth, we just sang. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. That brings us a great joy. Whatever this world throws us, whether it's persecution, whether it's suffering, the joy of being known by God, being friends with God, being forgiven, rises above that. But when we lack assurance in our faith, when we have doubts about God and his ability to keep his promises, then, well, if you've ever suffered doubts, and you probably have, then you know what it's like. We start to lose that joy in our salvation. We struggle with that. And we end up being, well, actually, we end up being so focused on ourselves rather than looking to God and enjoying his grace. A doubt robs us of the inexpressible and glorious joy that ought to be the experience of those who are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls, to quote 1 Peter 1. And from James, doubt will mean we cannot consider it pure joy when we face all kinds of trials. Doubt makes us, again, quoting from James 1, you might remember it from a little while back, uh, doubt makes us double-minded and unstable. And again, if you've suffered from doubt, you've struggled with those things, I'm sure you agree. When we don't resolve that doubt, it can cause us, it can cause a paralyzing spiritual depression. When you get home, have a read of Psalm 42 and Psalm 43. Uh, just a bit of homework. Uh, on a Sunday afternoon because the psalmist wrestles with doubt and it's like he shouts out, he shouts out to God these, these questions, why, why, why? He wrestles with doubt and he uses the words downcast and disturbed. Funny words for a believer to use about their relationship with God but he does. Remember from last week? It's, it's inevitable that followers of God, the people of God, followers of the Lord Jesus will suffer doubt. Disturbed and, 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 and uh, was it on downcast. But I want you to keep reading, though, in Psalm 42 and 43, because as God speaks through the psalmist, God calls us to put our hope in him and to still praise him, even though we're going through that time. Okay, so doubt can rob us of the joy of salvation. That's the first uh, reason why doubt is dangerous, even when it doesn't lead, lead to unbelief. The next one is that doubt... Well, it, well, I'll put it up on the screen there as well. Doubt may deny us answers to our prayers. Prayer and um, how and why God answers prayers, 
That's a bit of a mystery, isn't it? It's a bit of a mystery. God doesn't tell us why some are answered and some prayers are not. However, as we read our Bibles, over and again, there is a close connection between faith and prayer. Now, it's never about how we pray, physical positions or where or how often, and it would also be wrong to conclude that our prayer requests are refused because of lack of faith. Faith is always explained uh, by who we have our faith in rather than anything else. We have our faith in Jesus. Now, a helpful passage to go to is James 1, verses 5 to 7. You can see it up on the screen. Where James says there's their prayers for wisdom would not be answered if they doubted. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea being blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Okay, third reason why doubt is dangerous even when it doesn't lead to unbelief. Doubt distracts us from serving. The fact is a believer struggling with doubt more often than not finds that their spiritual energy, if you want to put it that way, uh, sort of turns inward. You're wrestling with doubt. Your spiritual energy turns inward because we end up being focused and consumed almost by our own sort of struggles, our own introspection and our own anxiety. And that can work itself out in two different ways. Here's one. For example, some who are going through a time of doubt may throw themselves into serving Jesus and his church as fully as they can to prove themselves and others that their faith is genuine. But this type of service is driven by duty and insecurity rather than faith and love for Jesus and his people. Service like this is often marked with guilt and fear of not doing enough. And in the end, what this boils down to is wholehearted service of self. But doubt can also have the effect of holding back from service. So someone who's unsure of their salvation and going through a period of doubt will find it hard to make sacrifices and take risks for God. Doubt may stop us from giving generously, for example, because we don't trust that God will supply all my needs. Or doubt may stop us from talking to our friends about Jesus because we fear what other people think of us. Doubt makes us unwilling to count the cost of following Jesus because we wonder if Jesus is better and Jesus is worth it. But as we saw last week, we're actually not left empty-handed when it comes to biblical examples of doubt and how this affects our love for others and service. Now, a good one is the young Timothy. Timothy was the, the, uh, the elder, the pastor, that Paul left behind at Ephesus to build that church. And so the two letters, one and two, Timothy. So uh, this young man, Timothy, we, we're pretty sure he was young, he was in danger of neglecting his ministry, his service in Ephesus, because he was afraid, for, well, he was afraid of suffering for the sake of Jesus. And so Paul writes to him in 1 and 2 Timothy, he writes to him to urge him to be bold and confident in the power of the Spirit. So 1 Timothy 1, 6 to 8. This is how it was what Paul writes to the young Timothy. For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the Spirit of God, uh, the Spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love and self-discipline. 
So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord about, or of me as prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. So doubt distracts us from serving. But there's, there's a couple more. Doubt may rule us out from ministry and service. I think it's pretty obvious that people who don't believe in Jesus, who are not Christians, well, they should not be in, in any position of um, leadership and ministry in the church. That's pretty obvious. But someone who's struggling through a long period of doubt, of doubts, well, should also step back from leadership for a time until they grow in their spiritual maturity, maturity and deal with those doubts. Titus 1 verse 9 tells us that elders or leaders must hold firmly to the trustworthy message, firmly to it as it has been taught, so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Leaders set an example, don't they, in God's church. They ought to be people who we can follow and do as they do. I've always loved these words from Paul, again to the young Timothy about leadership. I've got it up on the screen. I, I love it because I've actually loved it since I was a young Christian. And now I guess I'm an older Christian. Um, but if you're a young Christian, uh, I love you to look at these words. I love them. Uh, do not let anyone look down on you because you're young. But set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith and in purity. Um, that's important for leadership. And, it doesn't, and young, being young doesn't rule out being an example in speech and conduct in love and faith and in purity. And nor does being old, by the way. Uh, <laughs> so, there's no doubt doubt can be dangerous, even when it doesn't lead to unbelief. But sometimes doubt does lead to unbelief. So what do we do when a Christian... Uh, a, a, a friend, a friend stops believing. What do we do when a friend uh, falls away is the sort of a Christian lingo that, that means the same thing. If you've been a Christian for a while, uh, well, you've probably, you probably know the pain of a friend who once called themselves a Christian but no longer does. Now, I think this needs probably a bit more time than we can give it today, but I want to just... Um, maybe even a whole sermon. People have written long chapters and books about it, really. But I want to give you four ways that we can respond. If you have a friend who once said they believed but no longer do. Here's the first. The first thing we ought to do is we ought to pray. We ought to continue to pray. Pray for them and share the gospel with them again. Pray for opportunities to share the gospel with them urging them to come back to Jesus. We should never give up on the, on the possibility of them being saved. A, a question was asked last week in our Q&A time about uh, someone who was, who was Joan, actually. Joan prayed, had been praying for someone for a long, long time, many, many years. When do we stop praying? And I think the, the answer is, as I shared last week, we never stop praying. We should continue to love them and demonstrate to them the truth of the gospel in our life as well. You might remember also from last week, Jude 22. Be merciful for those who doubt. Do not write them off. Keep praying for them. Keep showing them the gospel. Keep being their friend. So that's the first one. We ought to pray for them. The second is that we mustn't think that God has failed them in some way. The Bible warns us that some will fall away. 
And ultimately, this is their own responsibility, not because God has let them down. If they never turn back to faith, well, then we can be sure that they were never true believers in the first place. Third, we must make sure that we make every effort to strengthen and protect our own faith. Uh, You know what? Satan, the devil wants us to fail and give it away. He wants that. He wants us to stop doing the things that God wants us to do to keep believing. He wants us to stop going to church. He wants that. The ideal. Fantastic, he says. He wants us to stop praying. He wants us to stop reading the Bible. He wants us to stop serving. He wants us to do those things. So we're going to make sure we make every effort to strengthen and protect our own faith by doing just those things. And fourth, if seeing a friend fall away causes us to realise that we too are struggling, we must seek help from others to make sure that our doubt does not turn into unbelief. Do that, won't you? You might need to do it today. Talk to someone. Even just encouraging someone after church as well will help with that. All right, friends, well, let's, um, let's close. In the end, yes, doubt is dangerous. But we don't need to be terrified by it. Yes, it is a serious threat, but it's also an opportunity to grow stronger in faith and maturity. When we work through our doubts, it produces a great joy and a more confident faith and a willingness to live for Jesus. This maturity in Christ is something that we all should strive for. The very circumstances that cause us to doubt may be the means that God uses us to test and refine and strengthen our faith. Why don't we pray? A lot to think about today. Um, And then we're going to see if we've got any questions or comments, words of encouragement, anything like that. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for your word to us today. Uh, We thank you for um, your love for us in the Lord Jesus. Lord, we've sung about your promises today. We've heard about your good promises today. And we thank you that you are a faithful God that we can trust. Lord, we pray today for any of us who are struggling with doubts. We thank you first that that, that we're here together. But Lord, we pray for those people. We pray that, that, um, that we would work and work to resolve our doubts. That we'd talk, we'd pray, we'd read your word. Help us with that. Help us to be an encouragement to one another, as we read in Hebrews, that we, Lord God, we, we encourage one another daily as long as is called today, so that none of us may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We pray these things in the Lord Jesus. Amen.